0: CD 3 Polly paused outside the door to pull her socks up, retucked the end of one under her belt as an anchor and hurried down to the inn's kitchens. A look told her all she wanted to know. Food hygiene here consisted of making a half-hearted effort not to gob in the stew. "'I want onions, salt, pepper,' she began. The maid, who was stirring the soot-black pot on the soot-black stove, glanced up, realised she'd been addressed by a man, and hastily pushed her damp hair out of her eyes. "'It's stow, sir,' she announced. "'I don't want me; I just want the stuff,' said Polly. "'For the officer,' she added. The kitchen-maid pointed a soot-blackened thumb to a nearby door, and gave Polly what she probably thought was a saucy grin. "'I'm sure you can have anything that takes your fancy, sir,' she said. Polly glanced at the couple of shelves that had been dignified by the name of Pantry, and grabbed a couple of large onions, one in each hand. "'May I?' she said. "'Oh, sir,' giggled the maid. "'I do hope you're not one of them coarse soldiers who take advantage of a helpless maiden, sir.' "'No, er, no, I'm not one of them,' said Polly. "'Oh!' this didn't seem to be the right answer. The maid put her head on one side. "'Have you had much to do with young women, sir?' she asked. "'Er, yes, quite a lot,' said Polly. "'Er, lots, really?' "'Really?' the maid drew closer. She smelled mostly of sweat, tinged with soot. Polly raised the onions as a kind of barrier. "'I'm sure there's things you'd like to learn,' the maid purred. "'I'm sure there's something you wouldn't,' said Polly, and turned and ran. As she made it out into the cold night air, a plaintive voice behind her called out, "'I'm off at eight o'clock!' Ten minutes later, Corporal Scallot was impressed. Polly got the feeling this did not happen often. Shufty had wedged an old breastplate beside the fire, had hammered some slabs of horsemeat until they were tender, dipped them in some flour, and was frying them. The sliced onion sizzled next to them. I always just boil them, said Scallot, watching him with interest. you just lose all the flavour if you do that, said Shufti. Hey, lad, the stuff I've ate, you wouldn't want to taste it. "'Sauté things first, especially the onions,' Shufty went on. "'Improves the flavour. "'Anyway, when you boil, you ought to boil slow. "'That's what me mam always says. "'Roast fast, boil slow, OK? "'This isn't bad meat for horse. "'Shame to boil it anyway.' "'Amazing,' said Scallet. "'We could have done with you in Ibbelstarn. "'The Sarge was a good man, but a bit, you know, tough in the leg.' The marinade would probably have helped,' said Shufty, absently, "'flipping a slice of meat with a broken sword. "'He turned to Polly. "'Was there any more stuff in the larder, Oz? "'I can make up some stock for tomorrow if we can—' "'I'm oh, not going in that kitchen again,' said Polly. "'Ah, that'll be round-heels Molly,' said Corporal Scallet, "'looking up and grinning. "'She sent many a lad on his way rejoicing.' "'He dipped a ladle in the boiling scubbo-pot next to the pan, "'disintegrated grey meat seized in a few inches of water. "'That'll do for the Rupert.' he said, and picked up a stained bowl. "'Well, he did say he wanted to eat what the men eat,' said Polly. "'Oh, that kind of officer,' said Scallet uncharitably. Yes, yeah, some young ones try that stuff, if they've been reading the wrong books. "'Some of them tries to be friends, the bastards.' He spat expertly between the two pans. "'Wait till he tries what the men eat.' "'But if we're having steak and onions—' "'No thanks to the likes of him,' said the corporal, ladling the slurry into the bowl.' "'The Slovenian troops get one pound of beef and a pound of flour a day, minimum, "'plus fat pork or butter and half a pound of peas. "'A pint of molasses sometimes, too. "'We get stale horse spread and what we scrounge. "'He'll have scubble and like it.' "'No fresh vegetables, no fruit,' said Shufty. "'That's a very binding diet, Corp.' "'Yeah, well, once battle commences, "'I reckon you'll find constipation's the last thing in your mind,' said Scallet. "'He reached up, pushed some rags aside,' "'and pulled down a dusty bottle from a shelf. "'Rupert's not having none of this, neither,' he said. "'Got it off of the baggage of the last officer that went through, "'but I'll share it with you, cos you's good lads.' "'He casually knocked the top of the bottle off against the edge of the chimney. "'It's only sherry, but it'll make you drunk.' "'Thanks, Corp,' said Shufty, and took the bottle. "'He sloshed a lot of it over the sizzling meat. "'Hey, that's good drink you're wasting,' said Scallet, making a grab for it. "'No, it'll spice up the meat, a fair treat,' said Shufty trying to hang on to the bottle. "'It'll sugar!' Half the liquid had gone on the fire as the two hands fought for it, but that wasn't what had felt like a small steel rod shooting through Polly's head. She looked around at the rest of the squad who didn't appear to have... Maledict winked at her and made a tiny gesture with his head toward the other end of the room and strolled in that direction. Polly followed. Maledict always found something to lounge against. He relaxed in the shadows, looked up at the rafters, and said, "'Now, I say a man who knows how to cook "'is no less of a man for that. "'But a man who says sugar when he swears? "'Have you ever heard a man say that? "'You haven't, I can tell.' "'So it was you who gave me the socks,' thought Polly. "'You know about me. I can tell you do. "'But do you know about Lofty? "'Maybe Shufty was very politely brought up.' but one look at Maledict's knowing smile made her decide not to try that road. Besides, the moment you looked at Shufti with the idea that maybe he was a girl, you saw that he was. No man would say sugar. Three girls now, and I'm pretty sure about Lofty too, said Maledict. What are you going to do about them? She said. Do? Why should I do anything about anyone? said Maledict. "'I'm a vampire officially pretending "'not to be one, right? "'I'm the last person who'll say "'anyone has to play the hand they were dealt. "'So good luck to him,' say I. "'But you might like to take him aside later on "'and have a word with him. "'You know, man to man.' "'Polly nodded. "'Was there a knowingness to that comment?' "'I'd better go and take the Lieutenant Escobo,' "'she said, "'and blast it. "'I forgot about his laundry.' "'Oh!' I wouldn't worry about that, old chap, said Maledict, and flashed a little smile. The way things are going around here, Igor's probably a washerwoman in disguise. Polly did the laundry in the end. She wasn't sure that she'd be able to dodge Molly a second time, and there wasn't that much of it. Afterwards she hung it in front of the fire, which was roaring. The horse had been surprisingly good, but not as surprising as Blouse's reaction to the scubbo.' He had sat there in his evening dress uniform, wearing special clothes just to sit down and eat all by yourself as a new one on Polly, and had yummed it up and sent her back with the bowl for more. The meat had been boiled white, and there was scum on the top. The squad wondered what kind of a life an officer could have led that inclined him to like Scubbo. "'Don't know much about him,' said Scallett upon questioning. "'He's been here two weeks, fretting to get to the war. Bought a whole cartload of books with him, I heard. Looks like a typical Rupert to me.' They were all behind the door when their chins were ended out. A sergeant who went through said he's not really a soldier at all, just some wonk from headquarters that's good at sums. Oh, great, said Maledict, who was brewing his coffee by the fire. The little engine gurgled and hissed. I don't think he can see very well without his glasses, said Polly, but he's very, um, polite. Not been a Rupert for long, then, said Scarlett. There more, eh? Hey there, you, damn your eyes, foah, I seen your sergeant before though, Old Jackram. Been everywhere he has. Everyone knows Old Jackram. He was with us in the snow up at Iblestarn. How many people did he eat? said Maledict, to General Laughter. The dinner had been good, and there had still been enough sherry for a glass each. Let's just say I heard he didn't come down much thinner than he went up, said Skellet. And Corporal Strappy? said Polly. Never seen him before either, said Skellet. Cross-grained little bugger. Political, I'd say. Why's he gone and left you here? Got a nice cushy bed in ein, has he? Oh, I hope he's not g- going to be our sergeant, said Wazza. Him? Why? said Scallot. Polly volunteered the events earlier in the evening. To her surprise, Scallot laughed. They're trying to get rid of the old bugger again, are they? he said. That's a laugh. Bless you, it'll take more than a bunch of Gawains and Rodneys to leave a jack out of his own army. Why, he's been court-martialed twice. He got off both times, and you know he once saved General Frock's life. He's been everywhere, got the goods on everyone, knows more strings than me, and I know a good few, mark my words. If he wants to march for you tomorrow, he will, and no skinny little Rupert'll get in his way. So what was a man like that doing as a recruiting officer? said Maledict sharply. Cos he got his leg cut open in Slovenia and bit the sawbones who tried to look at it when the wound went bad, clever dick, retorted Scalott. "'cleaned it out hisself with maggots and honey, "'and then drank a pint of brandy and sold himself up "'and lay on his bed with a fever for a week. "'But the general got him, I heard, "'came and visited him while he was too weak "'and told him he was going on the drumming for a year and no argument. "'Not even Frock hisself would hand him his papers, "'not after Jackram had carried him on his back "'for fourteen miles through enemy lines. "'The door swung open and Sergeant Jackram walked in, "'tucking his hands into his belt. "'Don't bother to salute, lads,' he said as they turned guiltily. "'Evening three parts. Nice to see nearly all of you again, you artful old god-dodger. Where's Corporal Strappy?' "'Haven't seen him all evening, Sarge,' said Maledict. "'Didn't he come in here with you?' "'No, Sarge, we thought he was with you.' Not a muscle moved on Jackram's face. "'I see,' he said. "'Well, you heard the lieutenant. The boat leaves at midnight.' We shall be well down the connect by Wednesday's dawn. Get a few hours' sleep if you can. Tomorrow's going to be a long day, if you're lucky. And with that, he turned and went out again. Wind howled outside, and was cut off when the door shut. We'll be well down the connect, Polly noted. Well done, three parts. Missing a corporal, said Scullet. Now there's a thing. Usually it's a recruit that goes AWOL. Well, you heard the sergeant, boys. Time to wash up and turn in. There was a washroom and latrine in a rough-and-ready fashion. Polly found a moment when she and Shufty were in it alone. She'd racked her brains about how best to raise the subject, but as it turned out, just a look was all it took. It was when I volunteered to do the supper, wasn't it? Shufty mumbled, staring into the stone sink which had moss growing in it. That was a clue, yes, said Polly. A lot of men cook, you know, said Shufty, hotly. "'Yes, but not soldiers, and and not enthusiastically,' said Polly. "'They don't do marinades.' "'Have you told anybody?' "'Mumbled Shufty, red in the face. "'No,' said Polly, which was, after all, strictly true. "'Look, you were good. "'You had me fooled right up until sugar.' "'Yes, yes, I know,' Shufty whispered. "'I can do the the belching and the walking stupidly, "'and even the nose-picking, "'but I wasn't brought up to swear like you men.' "'Us men,' thought Polly. "'Oh, boy!' Where's the coarse and licentious soldiery? I'm afraid it's shit or bust, she said. Uh, why are you doing this? Shufty stared into the dank stone sink, as if strange green slime was really interesting, and mumbled something. Sorry, what was that? said Polly. Going to find me husband, said Shufty, only a little bit louder. Oh dear, how long have you been married? said Polly without thinking. Not married yet, said Shufty in a voice as tall as an ant. Polly glanced down at the plumpness of Shufty. "'Oh, dear! "'Oh, dear! "'She tried to sound reasonable. "'Don't you think that you should—' "'Don't you tell me to go home?' said Shufty, rounding on her. "'There's nothing for me back home "'except disgrace. "'I'm not going home. "'I'm going to the war "'and I'm going to find him. "'No one's going to tell me not to, Ozzer. "'No one. "'This has happened before, anyway, "'and it ended right. "'There's a song about it "'and everything.' "'Oh, that,' said Polly. "'Yes, I know. "'Folk-singers should be shot. "'What I was going to say was that you might find this helps the disguise.' "'She produced a soft cylinder of woolly socks from her pack, "'and wordlessly handed it over. "'It was a dangerous thing to do, she knew, "'but now she was feeling a kind of responsibility to those "'whose sudden strange fancy hadn't been followed by a plan.' "'On the way back to her palias she caught sight of Wazza "'hanging his little picture of the Duchess "'on a handy hook in the crumbling wall above his mattress. "'He looked around furtively, "'failed to spot Polly in the shadows of the doorway, "'and bobbed a very quick curtsy to the picture. "'A curtsy, not a bow.' "'Polly frowned. Four. "'She was barely surprised now, "'and she had one pair of clean socks left. "'This was soon going to be a barefoot army.' Polly could tell time by the fire. You got a feel for how long a fire burned, and the logs on this one were grey with ash over the glow beneath. It was gone eleven, she decided. By the sound of it, no one was getting any sleep. She'd got up after an hour or two of lying on the crackling straw mattress, staring at darkness and listening to things move about underneath her. She'd have stayed on it for longer, but something in the straw seemed to want to push her leg out of the way. Besides, she didn't have any dry blankets. There were blankets in the barracks, but three parts had advised against them on account of them carrying, as he put it, the itch. The corporal had left a candle alight. Polly had read Paul's letter again and took another look at the piece of printed paper rescued from the muddy road. The words were fractured and she wasn't sure about any of them, but she didn't like the sound of any of them. Invage had a particularly unpleasant ring to it. And then there was the third piece of paper. She couldn't help that. It had been a complete accident. She'd done blouses' laundry, and of course you went through the pockets before you washed things, because anyone who'd ever tried to unroll a soggy, bleached sausage that had once been a banknote never wanted to do it twice. And there had been this folded piece of paper. Admittedly, she needn't have unfolded it, and, having unfolded it, needn't have read it. But there are some things that you just do. It was a letter. Presumably, Blouse had shoved it in a pocket and forgot about it when he changed his shirt. She didn't need to read it again, but, by candlelight, she did. "'My dearest Emmeline, fame and fortune await. After only eight years as a second lieutenant, I have now been promoted and am to have a command.' Of course, this will mean that there'll be no officer left in the Adjutant General's blankets, bedding, and horse fodder department, but I've explained my new filing system to Corporal Dreb, and I believe he is sound. You know I cannot go into matters of detail, but I believe this will be a very exciting prospect, and I'm anxious to be at a foe. I am bold enough to hope that the name of Blouse will go down in military history. In the meantime, "'I'm brushing up my sword drill, "'and it is definitely all coming back to me. "'Of course, the promotion brings with it "'no less than one shilling extra per dm, three pence fodder allowance. "'To this end, I have purchased a charger "'from Mr Honest Jack Slacker, "'a most entertaining gentleman, "'although I fear that his description of my steed's prowess "'may have been prone to some exaggeration. "'Nevertheless, I am moving up at last,' and if fate smiles on me, this will hurry for the day when I can. And that was it, fortunately. After some thought, Polly went and carefully damped the letter, then dried it quickly over the remains of the fire and slipped it into the pocket of the washed shirt. Blouse might scold her for not removing it before washing, but she doubted it. A blanket counter with a new filing system an ensign for eight years in a war where promotion could be rather fast. A man who put quotes around any word or phrase he thought of as even slightly racy, brushing up on his sword drill, and so near-sighted he'd bought a horse from Jack Slacker who went around all the horse fair's bargain bins and sold winded old screws that dropped a leg before you got home. Our leader. They were losing the war, Everyone knew that, but nobody would say it. It was as if they felt that if the words weren't said out loud, then it wasn't really happening. They were losing the war, and this squad, untrained and untried, fighting in dead men's boots, could only help them lose it faster. Half of them were girls. And because of some bloody stupid song, Shufti was wandering off into a war to look for the father of her child, and that was a desperate errand for a girl, even in peacetime. And Lofty was trailing after her boy, which would probably be romantic right up until five minutes into a battle. And she. Well, yes. She'd heard the song too. So what? Paul was her brother. She'd always kept an eye on him, even when he was small. Mother was always busy. Everyone was always busy at the Duchess. So Polly had become a big sister to a brother fifteen months older than she. She'd taught him to blow his nose taught him how to form letters went and found him when crueler boys had got him lost in the woods running after paul was a duty that had become a habit and then well it wasn't the only reason when her father died the duchess would be lost to her side of the family if there was no male to inherit that was the law plain and simple nuganatic law said that men could inherit the things of men such as land buildings, money, and all domestic animals except cats. Women could inherit the things of women, which were mostly small items of personal jewellery and spinning wheels and cats passed from mothers to daughters. They certainly couldn't inherit a large, famous tavern. So the Duchess would go to Paul if he was alive, or, if he was dead, it was allowable for it to go to Polly's husband if she was married. And since Polly saw no prospect of that... She needed a brother. Paul could happily carry barrels around for the rest of his life. She would run the Duchess. But if she was left alone, a woman with no man, then at best all she'd get would be maybe the chance to go on living there while the deeds went to Cousin Vloppo, who was a drunkard. Of course, all that wasn't THE reason. Certainly not. But it was a reason all the same. THE reason was, simply, Paul. She'd always found him and brought him home. She looked at the shako in her hands. There had been helmets, but since they all had arrow holes or gaping rips in them, the squad had wordlessly gone for the softer hats. You'd die anyway, and at least you wouldn't have a headache. The shako's badge showed the regimental symbol of a flaming cheese. Maybe one day she'd find out why. Polly put it on, picked up a pack and a small bag of laundry, and stepped out into the night. The moon was gone. The clouds had come back. She was drenched by the time she'd crossed the square. The rain was coming horizontally. She shoved open the inn door and saw, by the light of one guttering candle, chaos. Clothing was strewn across the flagstones. Cupboards were hanging open. Jackram was coming down the stairs, cutlass in one hand, lantern in the other. Oh, it's you perks, he said. They've cleaned out the place and buggered off, even Molly, I heard him go. Pushing a cart by the sound of it. What are you doing here? Batman, Sarge? said Polly, shaking water off her hat. Oh yeah, right. Go and wake him up, then. He's snoring like a sawmill. I hope to hell the boat's still there. Why'd they bug Scarper, Sarge? said Polly, and thought, sugar. If it comes to it, I don't swear either. But the sergeant didn't appear to notice. He gave her what is known as an old-fashioned look. This one had dinosaurs in it. Got wind of something, I don't doubt, he said. Of course, we're winning the war, you know, he said. Ah, oh, and we're not going to be invaded at all, I expect, said Polly, with equally exaggerated care. Quite right. I detest those treacherous devils who'd have us believe that a vast army is about to sweep right across the country any day now, said Jackram. Er, no sign of Corporal Strappy, Sarge? No, but I haven't turned over every stone yet. Shh. Polly froze and strained to listen. There were hoofbeats getting louder as they approached, and changing from thuds into the ringing sound of horseshoes on cobbles. Cavalry patrol,' Jackram whispered, putting the lantern down on the bar. Six or seven horses.' "'Ours?' "'I bleed in doubt it.' The clattering slowed and came to a stop outside. "'Keep talking,' said Jackram, reaching down, sliding the door's bolt across. He turned and headed toward the rear of the inn. "'What?' "'What about?' whispered Polly. "'Search!' Jackram had vanished. Polly heard murmuring outside the door, followed by a couple of sharp knocks. She threw off her jacket. She wrenched the shako off her head and tossed it behind the bar. Now she wasn't a soldier, at least. And as the door was shaken against the bolt, she saw something white lying in the debris. It was a terrible temptation. The door burst open at the second blow, but the soldiers didn't immediately enter. Lying under the bar, struggling to put the petticoat on over rolled-up trousers, Polly tried to make sense of the sounds. As far as she could tell from the rustles and thuds, anyone waiting inside the doorway with ambush in mind would have been briefly and terminally sorry. She tried to count the invaders. It sounded as though there were at least three. In the tense silence, the sound of a voice speaking in normal tones came as a shock. We heard the bolt slide across. That means you're in here somewhere. Make it easy on yourself. We don't want to have to come and find you. I don't want you to either, Polly thought. I'm not a soldier. Go away. Then the next thought was, What do you mean you're not a soldier? You took the shilling and kissed the picture, didn't you? And suddenly an arm had reached over the bar and grabbed her. At least she didn't have to act. Oh, no, please, sir, don't hurt me. I just got frightened. Please. But inside there was a certain... Sockness that felt ashamed "'and wanted to kick out. Ye yeah, gods, what are you?' "'said the cavalryman, "'pulling her upright and looking at her "'as if she was some kind of exhibit. "'Polly, sir, barmaid, sir, "'only they cleared out and left me. "'Keep the noise down, girl!' "'Polly nodded. "'The last thing she needed now "'was blouse to run down the stairs "'with his sabre and fencing for beginners. "'Yes, sir,' she squeaked. "'Barmaid, eh?' Three pints of what you'd probably call your finest ale, then.' That, at least, could happen on automatic. She'd seen the mugs under the bar, and the barrels were behind her. The beer was thin and sharp, but probably wouldn't dissolve a penny. The cavalryman watched her closely as she filled the mugs. "'What happened to your hair?' he said. Polly had been ready for this. "'Oh, sir, they cut it off, sir, "'cause I smiled at a Slovenian trooper, sir.' "'Here?' "'In drock, sir.' It was a town much nearer the border. And me ma'am said it was shaming to the family, and I got sent here, sir. Her hands shook as she put the mugs on the bar, and she was hardly exaggerating. Hardly, but a bit, nevertheless. You're acting like a girl, she thought. Keep it up. Now she could take stock of the invaders. They wore dark blue uniforms and big boots and heavy cavalry helmets. One of them was standing by the shuttered windows. The other two were watching her. One had a sergeant's stripes and an expression of deep suspicion. The one who'd grabbed her was a captain. "'This is terrible beer, girl,' he said, sniffing the mug. "'Yes, sir, I know, sir,' Polly gabbled. "'They wouldn't listen to me, sir, and said you have to put a damp sheet over the barrels in this thundery weather, sir, and Molly never cleans the spigot, and—' "'This town's empty, you know that?' "'They all scarpered, sir,' said Polly earnestly. "'Gonna be an invasion, sir, everyone says. They're frightened of you, sir.' "'Except you, eh?' said the sergeant. "'What's your name, girl who smiles at Slovenian troopers?' said the captain, smiling. "'Polly, sir,' said Polly. Her questing hand found what it was seeking under the bar. It was the barman's friend. There was always one. "'And are you affrightened of me, Polly?' said the captain. There was a snigger from the soldier by the window. The captain had a well-trimmed moustache that had been waxed to points— "'and was over six feet tall, Polly reckoned. "'He had a pretty smile, too, "'which was somehow improved by the scar on his face. "'A circle of glass covered one eye. "'Her hand gripped the hidden cudgel. "'No, sir,' she said, "'looking back into one eye and one glass. "Er, "'What's that glass for, sir?' "'It's a monocle,' said the captain. "'It helps me to see you, for which I am eternally grateful.' "'I always says as if I had two, I'd make a spectacle of myself.' That got a dutiful laugh from the sergeant. Polly looked blank. "'And are you going to tell me where the recruits are?' said the captain. She forced her expression not to change. "'No?' The captain smiled. He had good teeth, but there was now no warmth in his eyes. "'You are in no position to be ignorant,' he said. "'We won't hurt them, I assure you.' There was a scream in the distance. "'Much,' said the sergeant, with more satisfaction than necessary. There was another yell. The captain nodded to the man by the door, who slipped out. Polly pulled the shako out from under the bar and put it on. "'One of them gave her his cap, did he?' said the sergeant, and his teeth were nowhere near as good as the officer's. "'Well, I'd like a girl who'll smile at a soldier.' The cudgel hit him alongside the head. It was old Blackthorn, and he went down like a tree. The captain backed away as Polly came out from behind the bar, with the club readied again. But he hadn't drawn his sword, and he was laughing. Now, girl, if you'll want. He caught her arm as she swung, dragged her toward him in a tight grip, still laughing, and folded up with a gasp as her knee connected with his sock jaw. Thank you, Gummy. As he sagged, she stepped back and brought the cudgel down on his helmet, making it ring. She was shaking. She felt sick. Her stomach was a small, red-hot lump. What else could she have done? Was she supposed to think, We have met the enemy and he is nice? Anyway, he wasn't. He was smug. She tugged a sabre from a scabbard and crept out into the night. It was still raining and waist-deep mist was drifting up from the river. Half a dozen or so horses were outside, but not tied up. A trooper was waiting with them. Faintly, against the rustle of the rain, she heard him making soothing noises to comfort one of them. She wished she hadn't heard that. Well, she'd taken the shilling. Polly gripped the cudgel. She'd gone a step when the mist between her and the man fountained up slowly as something rose out of it. The horses shifted uneasily. The man turned, a shadow moved, the man fell. Oi! whispered Polly. The shadow turned. "'Ozzer, it's me, Maledict,' it said. "'Sarge sent me to see if you needed help.' "'Bloody Jackram left me surrounded by armed men,' Polly hissed. "'And?' "'Well, I knocked two of them out,' she said, "'feeling, as she said it, that this rather spoiled her case as a victim. "'Another one went over the road, though.' "'I think we got that one,' said Maledict. "'Well, I said got. Tonka nearly gutted him. "'There's a girl with what I'd call unresolved issues.' He turned around. Let's see. Seven horses, seven men. Yep. Tonker, said Polly. Oh, yes. Hadn't you spotted her? She went mad when the man charged at Lofty. Now let's have a look at your gentleman, shall we? Said Maledict, heading for the door. But Lofty and Tonker, Polly began, running to keep up. I mean, the way they act, they— I thought she was his girl. I thought Tonker— I mean— "'I know Lofty is a girl—' "'Even in the dark, "'Maledict's teeth gleamed as he smiled. "'The world's certainly unfolding itself for you, eh, "'Ozzer? "'Every day something new. "'Cross-dressing, now, I see. "'What?' "'You are wearing a petticoat, Ozzer,' "'said Maledict, stepping into the bar. "'Polly looked down guiltily "'and started to tug it off, "'and then thought, "'Hang on a moment.' The sergeant had managed to pull himself up against the bar where he was being sick. The captain was groaning on the floor. "'Good evening, gentlemen,' said the vampire. "'Please pay attention. I am a reformed vampire, which is to say, I am a bundle of suppressed instincts held together with spit and coffee. It would be wrong to say that violent, tearing carnage does not come easily to me. It's—' Not tearing your throats out, that doesn't come easily to me. Please don't make it any harder. The sergeant pushed himself away from the bar top and took a muzzy swing at Maledict. Almost absent-mindedly, Maledict leaned away from it and then returned a roundhouse blow that knocked him over. The captain looks bad, he said. What did he try to do to poor little you? Patronize me? said Polly, glaring at Maledict. ''Ah,'' said the vampire. Maledict knocked softly on the barracks' door. It opened a fraction, and then all the way. Carburundum lowered his club. Wordlessly, Polly and Maledict dragged the two cavalrymen inside. Sergeant Jackram was sitting on a stool by the fire, drinking a mug of beer. ''Well done, lads,'' he said. ''Put them with the others.'' He waved the mug vaguely toward the far wall, where four of the soldiers cowered under the gaze of Tonka. They had been manacled together. The last soldier was lying on a table, with Igor at work on him with a needle and thread. "'How's he coming along, Private?' said Jackram. "'He'll be fine, Tharge said Igor. "'It looked worse than it was, really. Just as well, because until we get to the battlefield, I won't get any spares.' "'Got a couple of legs for all three parts?' said Jackram." ''Now then, Sarge, none of that,'' said Scallet, evenly. He was sitting on the other side of the fireplace. ''You just leave me their horses and saddles. Your lads could do with their sabres, I've no doubt.'' ''They were looking for us, Sarge,'' said Polly. ''We're just a bunch of untrained recruits, and they were looking for us. I could have been killed, Sarge.'' ''No, I know talent when I seize it,'' said Jackram. ''Well done, lad.'' Had to piss off myself on account of a big man in full enemy uniform isn't easy to miss. Besides, you lads needed to be woke up. That's military thinking, that is. But if I hadn't, Polly hesitated, if I hadn't tricked them, they might have killed a lieutenant. Say, there is always a positive side any way you look at it, said Scallett. The sergeant stood up, wiped his mouth on the back of his hand, and hitched up his belt. He ambled over to the captain, "'reached down and lifted him up by his jacket. "'Why were you looking for these boys, sir?' he inquired. "'The captain opened his eye and focused on the fat man. "'I am an officer and a gentleman, sergeant,' he muttered. "'There are rules.' "'Not many gentlemen around here at this moment, sir,' said the sergeant. "'Damned right,' whispered Maledict. "'Polly, feeling drunk with relief and released tension, "'had to put her hand over her mouth to stop giggling.' Oh, yeah, the rules. Prisoners of war and that, Jackram went on. That means you even have to eat the same things as us, you poor devils. So you're not going to talk to me? I am Captain Horentz of the First Heavy Dragoons. I'll say nothing more. And something about the way he said it, elbowed Polly in the brain. He's lying. Jackram stared at him blankly for a moment and then said, Well, now, it looks like what we have here is an embuggerance, which, my lads of the cheesemongers, is defined as an obstruction in the way of progress. I propose to deal with it in this wise. He let go of the man's jacket, and the captain fell back. Sergeant Jackram removed his hat. Then he removed his jacket, too, revealing a stained shirt and bright red suspenders. He was still almost spherical. From his neck, folds of skin lapped their way down to the tropical regions. The belt must have been there just to conform to regulations, Polly thought. He reached up and undid a piece of string from around his neck. It was looped through a hole in a tarnished coin. Corporal Scalott, he said. "'Yes, Sarge,' said Scalot, saluting. "'You will note I am divestering myself of my insignia, and am handing you my official shilling, which means, since last time I signed up, it was for twelve years, and that was sixteen years ago—' I am now fully and legally a damn civilian. "'Yes, Mr. Jackram,' said Scallop cheerfully. Among the prisoners, heads jerked up at the sound of the name. "'And that being the case, and since you, Captain, are invading our country by night, under cover of darkness, and I am a humble civilian, I think there's no rule to stop me beating seven kinds of crap out of you until you tell me why you came here and when the rest of your mates are going to arrive.' And that may take me some time, sir, because up until now I've only ever discovered five types of crap. He rolled up his sleeves, hauled up the captain again, and drew back a fist. We just had to take the recruits into custody, said a voice. We weren't going to hurt them. Now put him down, Jacqueline Damio. He's still seeing stars. It was the sergeants from the inn. Polly looked at the other prisoners. Even with Carburundum and Maledict watching them, and Tonka glaring at them, there was a definite sense that the first blow landed on the captain was going to start a riot, and Polly thought, they are very protective, aren't they? Jackram must have picked it up too. Ah, now we're talking, he said, lowering the captain gently, but still holding his coat. Your men speak up for you well, captain. That's because we're not slaves, you bloody beat eater growled one of the troopers. Slaves? All my lads joined up of their own free will, turnip-head. Maybe they thought they did, said the sergeant. You just lied to them. Lied to them for years. They're all gonna die because of your stupid lies. Lies and your rattled, rotting, lying old whore of a duchess. Private Goom, as you were, that is an order. As you were, I said. Private Maledict, take that sword off of Private Goom. That is another order. Sergeant... Order your men to ease back slowly, slowly. Do it now. Upon my oath, I am not a violent man, but any man, any man who disobeys me, by God, that man is looking at a broken rib. Jackram screamed all that in one long explosion of sound without taking his eyes off the captain. Reaction, order, and breathless stillness had taken just a few seconds. Polly stared at the sudden tableau as her muscles untensed. These Slovenian troopers were settling back. Carborundum's raised club began to lower itself gently. Little Wazza was held off the ground by Maledict, who'd wrenched a sword from her hand. Possibly only a vampire could have moved faster than Wazza as she'd charged the prisoners. Custody, said Jackram in a quiet voice. That's a funny word. Look at my little lads, will you? Not a whisker between them yet, save for the troll, and lichen don't count. Still wet behind the ears they are. What's dangerous about a harmless bunch of farm boys that would concern a fine bunch of horse-wallopers like yourselves? Can someone please come and put their finger on this knot?' said Igor from his makeshift operating table. "'I've just about done.' "'Harmless!' said the sergeant, staring at the struggling wazzer. "'They're a bunch of bloody madmen!' "'I want to speak to your officer, damn you!' said the captain." who looked a little less unfocused now. "'You do have an officer, don't you?' "'Yeah, we've got one somewhere, as I recall,' said Jackram. "'Perks, go and fetch the Rupert, will you? "'Best if you take that dress off first, too. "'You never know with Rupert's.' He carefully lowered the captain onto a bench and straightened up. "'Carborundum, maledict, chop something off any prisoner who moves "'and any man who tries to attack a prisoner,' he said. "'Now then, oh yes.' Three parts Scallet, I wish to enlist in your wonderful army with its many opportunities for a young man willing to apply himself any previous soldier in said Scallet, grinning forty years fighting every bleeder within a hundred miles of Borogravia, corporal, special scales stay alive, corporal, come what may, "'And allow me to present you with one shilling and a major acceleration to the rank of sergeant, said Scallet, handing back the coat and the shilling. Want to osculate the dark sea? Not at my time of life, said Jackram, putting on his jacket again. There, he said. All smart, all neat, all legal. Go on, Perks, I gave you an order. Blouse was snoring. His candle had burned down. A book was open on his blanket. Polly gently pulled it out from under his fingers. The title, almost invisible on the stained cover, was Tacticus, the Campaigns. "'Sir?' she whispered. Blouse opened his eyes, saw her, and then turned and frantically scrabbled by the bed. "'Here they are, sir,' said Polly, handing him his spectacles. "'Ah, perks, thank you,' said the lieutenant, sitting up. "'Midnight, is it? A bit after, sir. "'Oh, dear, then we must hurry. Quick, pass me my breeches. "'Have the men had a good night?' "'We were attacked by Slovenian troops, sir. First heavy dragoons. We took them prisoners, sir. No casualties, sir.' "'because they didn't expect us to fight. "'They wanted to take us alive, "'and they walked in on Carborundum and Maledict and me. "'It had been hard, very hard, "'to force herself to swing that cudgel, "'but once she had done it, it had felt easy, "'and then she'd felt embarrassed "'about being caught in a petticoat, "'even though she had her breeches on underneath. "'She'd gone from boy to girl just by thinking it, "'and it had been so easy.' She needed some time to consider this. She needed time to think about a lot of things. She suspected that time was going to be in short supply. Blouse was still sitting there with his breeches half on, staring at her. "'Run that past me again one more time, will you, Perks?' he said. "'You have captured some of the enemy?' "'Not just me, sir. I only got two of them,' said Polly. "'We all are piled in, sir.' "'Heavy dragoons?' "'Yes, sir.' "'That's the Prince's personal regiment. "'They've invaded.' "'I think it was more of a patrol, sir. Seven men.' "'And none of you are hurt?' "'No, sir.' "'Pass me my shirt. "'Oh, blast!' "'It was then that Polly noticed "'the bandage around his right hand. "'It was red with blood. "'He saw her expression. "'A bit of a self-inflicted wound, Perks,' "'he said nervously. "'Brushing up on my sword-drill after supper. "'Nothing serious.' "'Just a bit rusty, you know? Can't quite manage buttons. uh, If you would be so good—' Polly helped the lieutenant struggle into the rest of his clothes, and threw his other possessions in a bag. It took a special kind of man, she reflected, to cut his sword-hand with his own sword. "'I should pay my bill,' the lieutenant muttered as they hurried down the darkened stairs. "'Can't, sir. Everyone's fled, sir. Uh, Perhaps I should leave them a note, do you think?' "'I wouldn't like them to think that I'd done a runner without—' "'They've all gone, sir,' said Polly, pushing him toward the front door. She stopped outside the barracks, straightened his coat and stared at his face. "'Did you wash last night, sir?' Uh, "'There was no—' Blas began. The response was automatic. Even though she was fifteen months younger, she'd mothered Paul for too long. Handkerchief? she demanded. "'And since some things get programmed into the brain at an early age, one was obediently produced.' "'Spit!' Polly commanded. "'Then she used the damp hanky to wipe a mark off Blousey's face, "'and realised, as she was doing it, that she was doing it. "'There was no going back. "'The only way out was ahead. "'All right,' she said brusquely. "'Have you got everything?' "'Yes, Perks.' "'Have you been to the privy this morning?' "'Her mouth went on while her brain cowered in fear of a court-martial. "'I'm in shock,' she thought, and so's he. "'So you cling to what you know.' and you can't stop. "Uh, No, Perks, said the lieutenant. Then you must go properly before we get in the boat, all right? Yes, Perks. In you go, then. There's a good lieutenant. She leaned against the wall and got her breath back in a few hurried gulps as Blouse stepped into the building, then slipped in after him. Officer present, Jackram barked. The squad already lined up, stood to varying degrees of attention. The sergeant crashed to attention in front of Blouse, causing the young man to sway backward. Apprehended enemy scouting party, sir. Dangerous business all round, sir. In view of the emergency nature of the emergency, sir, and seeing as how you have no NCO, what with Corporal Strappy having scarpered, and seeing as how I'm an old soldier in good standing, you are allowed to conscript me as an auxiliary under Duchess's Regulations, Rule 796, Section 3A, Paragraph 2, sir. Thank you, sir. "'What?' said Blouse, staring around blearily, "'and becoming aware that in a world of sudden turmoil "'there was a big red coat that seemed to know what it was doing. "'Oh, yes, fine. "'Rule 796, you say? "'Absolutely. "'Well done. Uh, "'Carry on, Sergeant.' "'Are you in command here?' barked Horentz, standing. "'Indeed I am, Captain,' said Blouse. "'Horentz looked him up and down. "'You?' he said, disdain, oozing from the word. "'Indeed, sir.' said Blouse, his eyes narrowing. "'Oh, well, we shall have to do what we can. I am Captain Horentz, and that fat bastard,' said Horentz, pointing a threatening finger at Jackram, "'that bastard offered me violence, as a prisoner, in chains, and that boy,' the captain added, spitting the word toward Polly, "'kicked me in the privates and almost clubbed me to death. I demand that you let us go.' Blouse turned to Polly. "'Did you kick Captain Horentz "'in the privates' parts?' Uh, "'Yes, sir. At uh, "'Need, actually. "'And it's perks, actually, sir, "'although I can see why you made the mistake.' "'What was he doing at the time?' Um, "'Embracing me, sir.' "'Polly saw Blouse's eyebrows rise "'and plunged on. "'I was temporarily disguised as a girl, sir, "'in order to allay suspicion. "'And then you clubbed him.' "'Yes, sir. Once, sir.' "'What in the world possessed you to stop at once?' said Blouse. "'Sir?' said Polly, as Horrence gasped. Blouse turned with an almost seraphic look of pleasure on his face. "'And you, Sergeant,' he went on, "'did you in fact lay a hand on the captain?' Jackram took a step forward and saluted smartly. "'Not as in fact per se and such, sir, no,' he said keeping his eyes fixed on a point some twelve feet high on the far wall. "'I just considered, since he had invaded our country to capture our lad, sir, that it wouldn't hurt if he experienced temporary feelings of shock and awe, sir. On my oath, sir, I am not a violent man.' "'Of course not, Sergeant,' said Blouse. And now, while he still smiled, the smile was edged with a kind of malevolent glee.' "'For heaven's sake, you fool! "'You can't believe these ignorant yokels! "'They're the dregs of—' Horentz began. "'I do believe them, indeed I do,' said Blouse, "'shaking with nervous defiance. "'I would believe their testimony against yours, sir, "'if they told me the sky was green, "'and it would appear that, untrained as they are, "'they have bested some of Slovenia's finest soldiers "'by wit and daring. "'I have every confidence "'that they have further surprises in store for us.' "'Dropping your drawers would do it,' whispered Maledict. "'Shut up!' hissed Polly, and then had to cram a fist into her mouth again. "'I know you, Captain Horentz,' said Blouse, and just for a moment the captain looked worried. "'I mean, I know your sort. I've had to put up with you all my life. Big, jovial bullies with your brains in your breeches. You dare to come riding into our country and think we're going to be frightened of you? You think you can appeal to me over the heads of my men?' You demand? On the soil of my country? Captain, murmured the cavalry sergeant, as Horentz stared open-mouthed at the lieutenant. They'll be here soon. Ah, said Horentz uncertainly. Then he seemed with some effort to regain his composure. Reinforcements are coming, he snapped. Free us now, you idiot, and I might just put this down to native stupidity. Otherwise, I shall see to it that things go very, very badly for you and your <laughs> men. Seven cavalrymen were considered not enough to deal with farm boys, said Blouse. You're sweating, Captain. You are worried. And yet you have reinforcements coming. Permission to speak, sir, barked Jackram, and went straight on to Cheesemongers, get bleeding armed again right now. Maledict you give Private Goom his sword back and wish him luck. "'Carborundum, you grab a handful of them twelve-foot pikes. "'The rest of—' "'There is these as well, Sarge,' said Maledict. "'Lots of them. "'I got them off our friend's saddles.' He held up what looked to Polly like a couple of large pistol-crossbows, steely and sleek. Horse bows," said Jackram, like a child opening a wonderful hogswatch present. "'That's what you get for leading a honest and sober life, my lads. Dreadful little engines they are. Let's have two each.' "'I don't want unnecessary violence, sergeant,' said Blouse. "'Right you are, sir,' said the sergeant. "'Carborundum, first man comes through that door running. I want him nailed to the pub wall.' He caught the lieutenant's eye and added, "'But not too hard.' And someone did knock at the door. Maledict levelled two bows at it. Carborundum lifted a couple of pikes in either hand. Polly raised her cudgel, a weapon she at least knew how to use.' The other boys, and girls, raised whatever weapon three-part scallop had been able to procure. There was silence. Polly looked around. "'Come in?' she suggested. "'Yeah, right, that should do it,' said Jackram, rolling his eyes. The door was pushed open, and a small, dapper man stepped through carefully. In build, colouring, and hairstyle, he looked rather like madame. "'A vampire?' said Polly softly. Oh, damn, said Maledict. The newcomer's clothing, however, was unusual. It was an old-fashioned evening dress coat, with the sleeves removed, and many, many pockets sewn all over it. In front of him, slung around his neck, was a large black box. Against all common sense, he beamed at the sight of a dozen weapons poised to deliver perforated death. Wonderful, he said. "'lifting up the box and unfolding three legs "'to form a tripod for it. "'But could the troll move a little to his left, please?' "'Huh?' said Carborundum. "'The squad looked at one another. "'Yes, and if Sir sergeant would be so kind "'as to move into the centre more "'and raise those swords a little bit higher,' "'the vampire went on. "'Great. "'And you, sir, if you could give me a gr? "'Grrr,' said Blas. "'Very good. "'Really fierce now.' there was a blinding flash and a brief cry of, "'Oh, shit!' followed by the tinkle of breaking glass. Where the vampire had been standing was a little cone of dust. Blinking, Polly watched it fountain up into a human shape that coalesced once more into the vampire. "'Oh, dear, I really thought the new filter would do it,' he said. "'Oh, well, we live and learn.' He gave them a bright smile and added, "'Now, which one of you is Captain Horens, please?' half an hour had passed. Polly was still bewildered. The trouble was not that she didn't understand what was going on. The trouble was that before she could understand that, she had to understand a lot of other things. One of them was the concept of a newspaper. Blouse was looking proud and worried by turns, but nervous all the time. Polly watched him carefully, not least because he was talking to the man who had come in with the iconographer. He wore a big leather coat and jodhpurs, and spent most of his time writing things down in a notebook, with occasional puzzled glances at the squad. Finally, Maledict, who had good hearing, sauntered over to the recruits from his lounging spot by the wall. "'Okay,' he said, lowering his voice. "'It's all a bit complicated, but do any of you know about newspapers?' "'Yes, my second cousin Igor in Ankh-Morpork, tell me about them,' said Igor. "'They're like a kind of government announcement.' "'Um, sort of, except they are not written by the government. They are written by ordinary people who write things down,' said Maledict. "'Like a diary?' said Tonka. "'Um, no.' Maledict tried to explain. The squad tried to understand. It still made no sense.' It sounded to Polly like some kind of punch and Judy show. Anyway, why would you trust anything written down? She certainly didn't trust Mothers of Borough Gravia, and that was from the government. And if you couldn't trust the government, who could you trust? Very nearly everyone, come to think of it. Mr. Derward works for a newspaper in ankh said Maledict. He says we're losing. He says... "'Casualties are mounting, and troops are deserting, "'and all the civilians are heading for the mountains.' Uh, "'Why should we believe him?' Wasser demanded. "'Well, we've seen a lot of casualties and refugees, "'and Corporal Strappy hasn't been around "'since he heard he was going to the front,' said Maledict. "'Sorry, but it's true. We've all seen it.' "'Yeah, but he's just some man from a foreign country. "'Why would the Duchess lie to us? I mean—' Why would she send us out just to die? said Wazza. She what w- watches over us. Everyone says we're winning, said Tonka doubtfully, after that moment of embarrassment. Tears were running down Wazza's face. No, they don't, said Polly. I don't think we are either. Does anyone think we are? said Manodict. Polly looked from face to face. But saying so, it's like treachery against the Duchess, isn't it? said Wazza. It's spreading alarm and despondency, in it? Maybe we ought to be alarmed, said Maledict. Do you know how he came to be here? He travels around writing things down about the war for his paper of news. He met those cavalry just up the road, in our country, and they told him they'd just heard that the very last recruits from Borogravia were here, and they were nothing but uh, a wet little bunch of squeaking boys. They said they'd capture us for our own good— and he could get a picture of us for his paper. He could show everybody how dreadful things were, they said, because we were scraping the bottom of the barrel. "'Yeah, but we beat em, so that's foxed him,' said Tonka, grinning nastily. "'Nothing for him to write down now, eh?' "'Um, not really. He says that this is even better.' "'Better? Whose side is he on?' "'Bit of a puzzler, really. He comes from ankh but he's not exactly on their side. Er, uh, Otto Hriek, who makes the pictures for him. The vampire, he crumbled to dust when the light flashed, said Polly, and then he came back. Well, I was standing behind Carborundum at the time, said Maledict, but I know the technique. He probably carries a thin glass vial of b- bl-, bl-, bl no wait, I can say this blood, he sighed, there, no problem, a thin vial of, what I said, which smashed on the ground and brought the dust back to life again. It's a great idea. Maledict gave them a wan smile. I think he really cares a lot about what he does, you know. Anyway, he told me Mr. Derward just tries to find out the truth, and then he writes it down and sells it to anyone who wants it. And, people let him do that, said Polly. Apparently. Otto says he makes Commander Vimes livid with rage about once a week, but nothing ever happens. Vimes? The butcher? said Polly. He's a duke, Otto says, but not like ours. Otto says he's never seen him butcher anybody. Otto's a black ribboner like me. He wouldn't lie to a fellow ribboner. "'and he says that picture he took is going on the clacks from the nearest tower to-night. "'It will be in the paper of news to-morrow, and they print a copy here.' "'How can you send a picture on the clacks?' said Polly. "'I know people who've seen them. "'It's just a lot of boxes on a tower that go clack-clack.' "'Ah, Otto explained that to me too,' said Maledict. "'It's very ingenious. "'How does it work, then?' Oh, I didn't understand what he said. It was all about n- numbers, but it certainly sounded very clever. Anyway, de word just told de Lou, the Rupert, that news about a bunch of boys beating up experienced soldiers, would certainly make people sit up and take notice. The squad looked at one another sheepishly. It was a bit of a fluke, and anyway we had carborundum, said Tonka. "'And I used trickery,' said Polly. "'I mean, I couldn't do it twice.' "'So what?' said Maledict. "'We did it. "'This squad did it. "'Next time we'll do it differently.' "'Yeah,' said Tonka. "'And there was a shared moment of exhilaration "'in which they were capable of anything. "'It lasted all of... a moment.' "'But it won't work,' said Shufty. "'We've just been lucky. "'You know it won't work, Maledict.' "'You all know it won't work, right?' "'Well, I'm not saying we could, you know, "'take on a regiment all at once,' said Maledict, "'and the loo Rupert might be a bit wet, "'but we could help make a difference. "'Old Jackram knows what he's doing. "'Upon my oath, I am not a violent man. "'Whack!' sniggered Tonka. "'And there were a few, yes, giggles. "'They were giggles, Polly knew from the squad. "'No, you're not!' "'said Shufti flatly. "'None of us are, right? "'Because we're girls.' "'There was a dead silence. "'Well, not Carborundum and Osser, okay, "'Shufti went on, "'as if the silence was sucking "'unwilling words out of her. "'And I'm not sure about "'Maledict and Ego, "'but I know the rest of us are, right? "'I've got eyes, I've got ears, "'I've got a brain, right?' "'In the silence there was a slow rumble "'that preceded a pronouncement "'from Carborundum. "'If it—' he- "'Any help?' she said, in a voice suddenly more sandy than gravelly. "'My real name's Jade.' "'Polly felt questing eyes boring into her. "'She was embarrassed, of course, but not for the obvious reason. "'It was for the other one, the little lesson that life sometimes rams home with a stick. "'You are not the only one watching the world. "'Other people are also people. "'While you watch them, they watch you.' and they think about you while you think about them. The world isn't just about you. There was going to be no possibility of getting out of this, and, in a way, it was a relief. Polly, she said, almost in a whisper. She looked questioningly at Maledict, who smiled in a distinctly noncommittal way. Is this the time, he said, "'All right, you lot. what are you standing about for?' Bawled Jackram, six inches from the back of Maledict's head. No one saw him arrive there. He moved with an NCO's stealth, which sometimes mystifies even Igor's. Maledict's smile didn't change. "'Why, we're awaiting your orders, Sergeant,' he said, turning around. "'Do you think you're clever, Maledict?' "'Um, yes, Sarge, quite clever,' the vampire conceded. There wasn't a lot of humour in Jackram's smile.' Good. Glad to hear it. Don't want another stupid corporal. Yeah, I know you ain't even a proper private yet, but glory be you're a corporal now, because I need one and you're the snappiest dresser. Get some stripes from three parts. The rest of you, this isn't a bleeding mother's meeting. We're leaving in five minutes. Move. But the prisoners, Sarge, Polly began, still trying to digest the revelation. We're going to drag em over to the inn and leave em tied up in the nude and shackled together, said Jackram. Vicious little devil when he's roused our Rupert, eh? And three-parts is having their boots and horses. They won't be going too far for a while. Not in the nude. Want the writing-man let them out? said Tonka. Don't care, said Jackram. He could probably cut the ropes, but I'm dropping the shackle key in the privy, and that'll take a bit of fishing out. Whose side is he on, Sarge? said Polly. No, I don't trust him. Ignore him. Don't talk to him never talk to people who writes things down. Military rule. Now, I know I just gave you lot an order, because I heard the bleeding echo. Get on with it, we are leaving. Road to perdition, lad, promotion, said Scalett to Maledict, swinging up with two stripes hanging from his hook. He grinned. That's three pence extra a day you're due now, only you won't get it because they ain't paying us. But, to look on the bright side, you won't get any stoppages, and they're a devil for stoppages. The way I see it, "'March backwards and your pockets will overflow!' The rain had stopped. Most of the squad were parading outside the barracks, where there was now a small covered wagon belonging to the writer of the paper of news. A large flag hung from a pole attached to it, but Polly couldn't make out the design by moonlight. Beside the wagon, Maledict was deep in conversation with Otto. The centre of attention, though, was the line of cavalry horses— one had been offered to Blouse, but he'd waved it away with a look of alarm and muttering something about being loyal to his steed, which to Polly's eye looked like a self-propelled toast rack with a bad attitude. But he'd probably made the right decision at that, because they were big beasts, broad, battle-hardened and bright-eyed. Sitting astride one of them would have strained the crotch in Blouse's trousers, and an attempt at reining one of them in would have pulled his arms off at the shoulder.' Now each horse had a pair of boots hanging from its saddle, except for the leading horse, a truly magnificent beast, upon which Corporal Scallot sat like an afterthought. "'I'm no donkey-walloper, as you know, three parts,' said Jackram, as he finished lashing the crutches behind the saddle. "'But this is a hell of a good horse you've got here.' "'Damn right, Sarge. You could feed a platoon for a week off of it,' said the Corporal. "'Sure you won't come with us,' Jackram added, standing back. I reckon you still must have one or two things left for the bastards to cut off, eh? Thank you, Sarge, it's a kind offer, said Three Parts, but fast horses are going to be at a real premium soon, and I'll be in on the ground floor, as you might say. This slot will be worth three years' pay. He turned in the saddle and nodded at the squad. Best of luck, lads, he added cheerfully. You'll walk with death every day, but I've seen him, and he's been known to wink. And remember, fill your boots with soup. He urged the horses into a walk, and disappeared with his trophies into the gloom. Jackram watched him go, shook his head, and turned to the recruits. All right, ladies, what's funny, Private Holter? Nothing, Sarge, I just thought of something, said Tonka, almost choking. You ain't paid to think of things, you're paid to march, do it. The squad marched away. The rain slackened to nothing, but the wind rose a little, rattling windows, blowing through the deserted houses, opening and shutting doors, like someone looking for something they could have sworn they put down here only a moment ago. That was all that moved in plots, except for one candle flame down near the floor in the back room of the deserted barracks. The candle had been tilted so that it leaned against a cotton thread fastened between the legs of a stool. This meant when the candle burned low enough, it would burn through the thread, and fall all the way to the floor, and into a ragged trail of straw that led to a pile of palyaces, on which had been stood two ancient cans of lamp-oil. It took about an hour, in the wet, dejected night, for this to happen, and then all the windows blew out. Tomorrow dawned on Borogravier like a great big fish. A pigeon rose over the forests, banked slightly, and headed straight for the valley of the Knek. Even from here, the black stone bulk of the keep was visible, rising above the sea of trees. The pigeon sped on, one spark of purpose in the fresh new morning. And squawked as darkness dropped from the sky, gripping it in talons of steel. Buzzard and pigeon tumbled for a moment, and then the buzzard gained a little height and flapped onwards. The pigeon thought... But had it been more capable of coherent thought, and knew something about how birds of prey catch pigeons, and allowing for the fact that all pigeons who know how birds of prey catch are dead, and therefore capable of slightly less thought than a living pigeon, it might have wondered why it was being gripped so kindly. It was being held, not squeezed. As it was, all it could think was... The buzzard reached the valley and began to circle low over the keep. As it gyred, a tiny figure detached itself from the leather harness on its back and with great care inched itself around the body and down to the talons. It reached the imprisoned pigeon, knelt on it and put its arms around the bird's neck. The buzzard skimmed low over a stone balcony, reared in the air and let the pigeon go. Bird and tiny man rolled and bounced across the flagstone in a trail of feathers and lay still. Eventually, a voice from somewhere under the pigeon said, Bugger! End of CD 3